So the reason that we don't have a scripture reading this week is um, a, a number of reasons, but mainly I was out of town this week uh, attending my grandmother's funeral. And I've had family members die since I've become a pastor, and I usually uh, will either reference them in passing or not at all, because such is the bent and the broken world that we live in, that the death, which is always a violation of good, is part of our lives. But I was struck profoundly by her and my grandfather, who preceded her in death's role in my life. From 1977, when I was born, until last Monday, when she died, she was the stability in my life. Um, Some of you have heard me preach literally hundreds of sermons. God bless you. I don't know what that's like. Um, And so you know that, but others of you don't know, my family was very fractured many, many, many times um, throughout my life. And yet here was this couple that remained and oftentimes I realized in, in preparing for the sermon and, and, and going through the book of Acts, this, still, this will still be a textual sermon based upon the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I realized in reflecting on my grandmother's role is that she had a very specific calling. And oftentimes when I talk about your calling and mine, what we do before God with our gifts and affections and circumstances, I'm talking about what we do that's unique. My grandmother was very unique. She um, played the accordion in Will Rogers' traveling band. When Gene Autry went to Oklahoma State, when she was there, she was asked to accompany him as a musician. She's a very gifted woman. But that's not how she was so stable. That's not, that set of gifts were not how she created the stability around my life that she did. The way she created the stability around my life was through what I'm going to call a general call on her life that is part of every Christian's role. To learn forgiveness, to learn hospitality, to learn to be generous with what we've been given. I often talk about our our call in an individualistic way, and I'm a product of my environment. Um, We live in a modern society, I would argue not traditional in many respects, and therefore we're very interested in our individual contributions to both the world and especially on a Sunday morning to the church and to a kingdom. And that's important. All of you have specific skills and gifts. Some of us are gifted musically. Some of us are not. But then there are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to every follower of Jesus. And these are the parts of our calling that will not make headlines. But they're also the parts of the calling that are absolutely beautiful in the kingdom. I was meeting with a counselor for a very short period of time, very specific kind of counseling, um, for, and I went for eight sessions, and the first thing that, that he had me do was write out a list of the really challenging things that have happened in my life. And as he was reading the list, he said, you know, most people with a list this size are either uh, in prison or strung out on drugs, and I was like, or Jesus. Hmm? <laughs> um, and he, he had a statue of Buddha on his shelf, so, I, so he like, was fine with that. And, and the reason I tell you that story is, when I reflect back, there are all these moments of disorientation, and then there are these stable, loving, imperfect people. She wants, my, 
<laughs> yeah, I was talking with my dad about this, and he's like, she never cussed. I was like, I remember when she cussed. I threw a bat up into a tree, which, well, I don't know why I was doing that. I do, actually, and it was foolish. And she came, out, came right out cussing, and then she repented. Perhaps the first time I saw an, an adult actually shaken by their sin and then ask for forgiveness. And the reason that this overlaps with the text is the book of Acts is, is easy to follow the storyline of Peter and of Paul and initially of John and a little bit of some other characters. And yet throughout, there are all these women and men who held these churches together. Paul would help plant this church. Barnabas would help plant this church and they would go there for a year. And then there's this group of Ephesian elders and they're weeping with Paul and we don't know their names. They're the ones that stuck around and prayed and were generous with what they had and showed up to worship with one another. And those are the reasons that these churches continue to flourish. The story of, of Acts is, as all of the scripture is, the story of God's pursuit of his people. And yet if you read the story, you'll see that they're being persecuted by all sorts of government forces. They're fighting with one another pretty consistently. And yet, the gospel continues to grow and to flourish out of about six to eight house churches, groups far smaller than this, of women and men who were learning to worship, learning to serve one another, and to do church. So when I reflected on general call, it's not going to be stuff that surprises you. It's stuff that most of you are probably doing anyway, and yet as your pastor... I want to encourage you about how meaningful it is that you pray for the people in your life. When my cousin handed me my grandma's Bible and I opened it and there was the list of who she prayed for every day. Ten grandchildren and 17 great-grandchildren, four children. And I don't know what that's like for you. Some of you work at large companies. I don't know what it's like to pray for the people in your company. Maybe only those that directly report to you or that you directly report to. But it's important that you pray for the people in your life. And in a spiritual sense, there is good and power in that. It is part of your call. Lately, I've been using a whiteboard to pray more because um, it keeps my, my focus totally on the board. And as I pray for my family and then my closest friends and then especially the elders of the church, I change the color as I move back and forth on the whiteboard. Sometimes I use a journal. Sometimes I sit very quietly and, and utilize the Lord's Prayer as a way of praying for the people in my life. There are a lot of ways to pray for the people in your life, but it is part of the general call on your life and the amount of good that happens because of this group of people praying for those in their life is beyond our imagination. Healing, coming to faith, the reconciliation of families, peace given to people's hearts through prayers. Throughout the book of Acts, you see the people trying to figure out how to be generous with one another. It's another general part of our call is generosity. At one point, there's a famine in the book of Acts, and they take up money to help churches feed one another. 
Last week, our church served the local food pantry in three separate ways. We did the drop-off. Um, a group went to and went to all the bakeries and picked up all the bread that had been baked the day before. And another group went to KFC and took all the chicken that had been cooked that week that wasn't sold, and they delivered it to the food pantry. And that encourages me for a bunch of reasons. One, it sounds like the early church, doing what they can with what they have where they are. The other thing is, in Simsbury, we have a lot of people that travel. And so the food pantry is usually in a pinch in the summer. That's actually why they put the sandwich board out, if you've ever seen it. It's not just extra advertisings, because they don't often get extra support. I was so proud of our church last week. <laughs> My grandmother always gave me $5, almost every time I saw her. My grandpa made some amount of money, and so she would always give her grandkids what she had. See this in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 20, a couple of the members believe that they are called to Macedonia, and so the churches give what they have in generosity to send out missionaries. Not all of you, or even many of you, or many of us, are called to be missionaries, and yet we're generous with what we have, and that goes to men and women in Peru and in Senegal and in other places around the world. You see in Acts chapter 6, the church realizing that they need to have a system to take care of widows, and it's, it's a, it's, I love this part of the book of Acts because they're figuring it out. They're studying the Old Testament. They're reflecting on everything that they could remember Jesus said, and then they're like, but we need to be doing things too. And so they create the board of deacons. And then immediately, one of the deacons, who probably wasn't called to be a deacon, begins to preach to a number of people, and he ends up being killed for it. And it's an aggressive sermon. Really, among other things, wish that Stephen, the one who preached this sermon, would have gotten to continue studying and to continue preaching and perhaps writing. Boy, he was a fiery fellow. Not positive he was called to be a deacon. But part of our general call, part of what's not specific, is that we're generous with what we have. And through it, in a local context, we take care of those that need extra help, be they widows or widowers or those that live alone or those that have acute or chronic medical issues, just like the early church. The general call in our lives involves prayer and generosity, and it also involves hospitality and forgiveness. If you look at uh, the character of Barnabas, you just get a couple of verses about him throughout the New Testament or throughout the Book of Acts. I'm pretty sure, though, that the New Testament church would have had a lot more challenges even without this guy. Because if you read between the lines in Acts chapter 15 and a little bit later in the book and you look at Galatians chapter 3 and how it speaks into it, they were fighting a lot trying to figure out how Jewishly do we do Christianity? How do we reach out to those that are of different faiths? How do we travel around and do this? And Barnabas was often the one that was through hospitality and through conversation and through his gifts the, keeping them together. And I don't know if you're reading between the lines, but in my family, the gift, there, the, the general call that my grandparents understood was to forgive. One thing that I watch all the time in my own family and in your lives is I watch unforgiveness decimate families. And the strongest teachings of the New Testament, the strongest commands to you and to me are that we both 
know how to forgive, and then do it. And if you've been coming to the church for any length of time, you've heard me talk about this, and so you have a working definition, so you can just doodle for this section of the sermon. But it is essential that we know how to do this. And as I struggle for the right words, the reason is not because I don't know how to talk about these things. The reason is because for the 42 years I've been alive, I have watched my grandfather and my grandmother continue to be capable of being in relationship with every human God put in their life. And the only explanation I can come up, for, come up with to explain that is they understood forgiveness and then they practiced it. And that's the reason that all these men and women that removed themselves from my family over the years for various reasons still were in a relationship with them and still loved them and knew that they were loved by them. My grandparents knew that you must, when you picture an enemy, meaning someone who has acted aggressively towards you, when you picture them, you still long for their flourishing. And the person that you just pictured and tried to long for their flourishing and experienced a little pang, a little spike, a little bit of anxiousness, that actually means you're somewhere, you're doing the work of forgiveness. For you to experience pain means that you know you can long for their good and absorb what they did to you. And that is harsh news. But the alternative is for your spirit to disintegrate as you internally or externally make them pay. My grandparents knew that they needed to release pictures of the demise or the ruin of that person. And you're like, this sounds harsh, but isn't that what we do when someone harms us? We picture them getting paid back. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, was incredibly clear that we must release that picture. And for many of us who have been harmed in incredibly profound ways, this will be a more than once per day activity. And I saw people a couple of times through other disorientation with family go after my grandparents. And with wisdom and care and some mistakes that they needed to repent for, my grandparents would use wisdom and boundaries to be careful about that relationship, and yet they always ended longing for their flourishing, not longing for their ruin. There's no way that the New Testament church continues to flourish chapter by chapter by chapter if the men and the women don't know how to forgive one another. Do you remember how the Philippian church was planted? It was through a very wealthy Asian woman, a possessed teenager who wasn't still possessed when she then started the church, but initially was possessed, and a Philippian jailer, meaning a Roman citizen. These three people are not going to initially get along. There's no way. And as they hurt one another accidentally and then sometimes on purpose, learned to forgive and become this church that Paul is so thankful for because he sees in them joy. It's also hospitality. 
4652 South Oxford was the place of stability where my grandparents hosted people. And I know that for many of you, that's challenging. Many of you love to do it. You love to have people over. So I'm going to say this. In addition to unforgiveness, the other piece of the general call that all of us have is to learn to be hospitable, to learn to have people over and to eat with them. Here's what I came up with as your pastor. Somewhere between one and 104 times a year. Because I've decided that more than twice a week is overwhelming, even for the most hospitable of you. But for some of you, getting to one is really challenging because you want the house to look a certain way, because you're nervous, and because you've had people over before and it's gone really poorly. But Christians continually, throughout the book of Acts, one of the ways that they grow in fellowship with one another, in in love for one another, but also one of the ways that they draw people into the fellowship of their house churches and also into the faith is through hospitality with and for one another. So I want to encourage you, not specifically, not in the way that you're specifically called to be a Christ follower, but the way you're called generally is also to be hospitable. And I know it's challenging. And I know that you're not as good of a cook as whoever that other person is you're thinking of. And I know that you've been burned. You've done it, and it's not gone well. Yet these are the things that we do. How? Why? How? is actually an odd answer, not just going to the store and preparing and inviting the people over and becoming a little bit closer with them, be that your neighbor that doesn't go to church, your coworker, or the person from this body. The how is actually by believing and trusting in the good news of Jesus. And that's like, that's a, an answer to a question that doesn't sound like they fit, except they do. The men and women of the New Testament, and especially of the book of Acts, which uh, transcends the rest of the New Testament, the other letters all interspersed with it, they understood that God loved them and called them his own. And therefore, the men and women that they knew that were not followers of Jesus, they were hospitable towards them. And that doesn't mean they always shared the gospel with them either. Sometimes we need to go very, 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 very slowly or not at all because we've already had that conversation, and they've said, I don't want to talk about that anymore, and then they continue to be hospitable to them. They continue to invite them over. And they do that with the men and women that they're in fellowship with, that they would not choose as friends. One of my very least favorite things about church and favorite things about church at the same time is we would not have chosen one another as friends. Not all of us. That's all right. You're like, yeah. And yet, we're called to become friends with one another. And that will only happen through hospitality. The way that we're empowered for both our specific call that I'm not talking a lot about today and our general call to be generous to pray for the people that God has put into our life, to forgive, is by receiving the regular and the extraordinary elements of grace. The power is in Jesus, not in us, but the way that we enjoy that and experience it and are strengthened in it are through the ordinary and extraordinary means of grace. When you show up here and you sing, 
or simply receive the music. When you show up here on a Sunday morning and you pray, when you show up here on a Sunday morning and you open the word and talk with your friends before and after church, the Holy Spirit is strengthening you for love and good works, for the food pantry, for fellowship with one another, for the neighbors that God has put into your life. And the extraordinary means of grace are through baptism, which we do once, and the Lord's Supper, which we do once a month, where we are sealed and strengthened and empowered, and more is happening through this than we can sense or understand. That's part of the definition of a sacrament, where something is happening spiritually and supernaturally to call us further into God's love and his mission for our life. Would you pray with me before we receive the Lord's Supper? Father in heaven, you have called millions of women and men to follow you in prayer, in generosity, forgiveness, and hospitality. Holy Spirit, would you empower us similarly? You call each of us a son and a daughter of the true king. You call each of us into specific mission. You call each of us into agents of your reconciliation and peace in the places we find ourselves in. All because you love us. for your glory and the good of our neighbor. Strengthen and empower us, Holy Spirit, as your followers. Father, I praise and thank you for those that have gone before us in the faith. Amen.